good to see everybody. Um, welcome to our group joining us online. I know Jackie's had our football this week, so working on those fundamentals. This is always a big moment. Come on up. So, it always seems like such an accomplishment when it gets up here, doesn't it? Um, this, uh, this football has become a bit of a mascot for us um, because it reminds us of those fundamentals, and this is a church that's focused on those fundamentals. And the cool part about what we're doing this fall is that we're going through a sermon series where we're learning about those fundamentals directly from Jesus himself. And he's talking about his kingdom, and as he does it, he literally flips our world upside down, which is why we're using this graphic up here, because we start seeing things a little differently when Jesus preaches this to us. The things that the world prizes, God despises, and the things that God prizes, the world despises. And that is why we feel so out of place sometimes. It's because we're not made for this world. God is shaping us for his kingdom. And we started out with the Beatitudes. So these were about nine characteristics that described God's kingdom. And as we started peeling these things back, we saw that Underneath every one of them was this notion of humility, and humility is a real challenge for us because it's one of those things, the moment we think we have it, by definition, it's gone. And then, of course, the last two weeks, Cammie has been working through two separate passages. The first one was after Jesus describes the characteristics of his kingdom, he then turns to the disciples and he turns to each of us, and he says, I'm going to give you your identity now. You are salt and light for this earth. And so that light thing, we've talked about that before. And you remember this image up here. We've got this dark path and this, this well-lighted narrow path. And actually, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, Jesus talks about this narrow path. And we're going to get to that in a couple of months. But for now, I thought it was important to pull it forward so you can kind of see what he says. So if you read that, it says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So this really lays out this graphic we've been talking about. And in particular, this wide, dark path that we are all on when we are born into this world. And that dark path is focused on self. That's really the issue that we deal with in our world. And when we talk about being focused on self, we use words in modern vernacular of like secular humanism. That means we don't have a God that tells us what's right or wrong. We can all figure that out on our own. And that's really risky when you slip into that realm because it leads to moral relativism, which is what defines our culture these days. And that's where you can have your view of what truth is, and I'll have mine, and you can have yours, and whatever happens, happens. And that's what creates all this discord and all this argument that we see going on across our culture. But on that narrow path, the focus is on God, and there is a truth. There's an absolute truth in the person, words, and works of Jesus. And that's what we just sang about. That's what that song is, this King of Kings that we just kind of sang through. It's literally this graphic. Because that narrow gate, very few people will get to go through it. Most will go the way of eternal destruction. Now, some people are like, well, are you like one of these fire and brimstone preachers or whatever? No. 
Um, this is what Jesus is saying right here. He actually uses the word hell. And that's a word that we don't like to talk about, um, but it's a real thing, and Jesus does talk about it. And so, but here's the good news, and this is the bright spot of everything, is that we don't have to remain on that dark path. We actually have a way out of that. And that's what we see with that red dot that we've been talking about, that drop of Christ's blood. Because we start out in the old life, and then when Jesus convicts us of that sin in our lives, and we respond to his call, we are born again. We're made right in an instant, justified before him. That basically lifts us off of that wide path and puts us squarely on that narrow path. And then we receive the Holy Spirit and we're walking hand in hand with the Holy Spirit down that well-lighted path. That's the gospel message. That's the hope that we all have. That's what changes our lives. And then, of course, this last week, Cammie talked to us a little bit about the law. Because Jesus came to usher in his kingdom, but he also came in fulfillment of the law. And there was this really compelling line that Jesus uses towards the end of it all. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot make it through that narrow gate. That's a pretty compelling thing. So then, that launches basically the next six points that Jesus makes. He uses six examples to illustrate that point. And we're going to go through one of them today. You can see those six up there on this graphic. And we're going to focus today on murder. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I've never murdered anyone, so I'm pretty good, right? I can check that one off. But remember, Jesus is turning our worlds upside down. So we're going to ask him for some help uh, before we unpack all this, and then we're going to find out why everyone in here is guilty of murder. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. And what we have not, grant us. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. For Jesus' sake, amen. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 5, 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Heather. Okay, so Jesus starts out by referencing a central tenet of the Old Testament law. Murder, it's one of the Ten Commandments. He's speaking to the disciples. These are Jewish men. They know all about the Ten Commandments. They know all about murder. They know that we're not to intentionally end another person's life. In fact, if we do, we're subject to the judgment of the death penalty as well. Now, Jesus' teaching clearly upholds this part 
of the law. He's not rewriting it. He's not challenging it. He fully supports it. Rather, what he's doing is he's highlighting a dimension of the law that's absolutely vital in his kingdom. You see, the scribes and Pharisees were charged with teaching the law, but they only taught the letter of the law. In their view, as long as you didn't physically murder somebody, you're good. It's sort of a checklist of things, and that's exactly what we do, don't we? I'm sure each of us, from time to time, whenever you happen to find your way to the Ten Commandments, you kind of go down through them. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. Check. Um, I haven't really, um, you know, done adultery. I have. I honor my father and my mother. And I just kind of work my way down through there, and I'm always checking these things off. So I must be good. But remember how Jesus sets this whole thing up. He says our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. In other words, it must exceed the letter of the law. So it's not just murder that's a problem. It's the mere seeds of anger that serve as the intention for murder. Jesus cares about what lies at the root of our actions as much as he cares about those actions themselves. You know, it's all that stuff that's internal to us because it operates in the same space where the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So that's why you can't sit there and be happy because you haven't physically murdered anyone. Because everyone in here has been angry with someone before. And we're gonna see how anger impacts us far more than we even realize. And to be clear, this just isn't for those people who have anger problems. You know, those who have visibly outbursts, visible outbursts of anger. Those who are labeled that have temper problems, because we all have anger issues. And I'd even argue that this particular passage is targeted especially for those who keep that anger inside, who don't ever deal with it. They kind of put face paint on, they act like it's no big deal, but deep down on the canvas of their hearts, it burns. And it eats them from the inside out. And it always eventually comes out just in other ways. So what does the canvas of your heart really look like? Well, if we're honest with ourselves, it's pretty messy. Let me tell you about mine. So I had a roommate freshman year, or plebe year at West Point. The upperclassmen called him Stinky Blinky because he smelled like a rotten sock and he blinked his eyes all the time. He had chronic bad breath, sweaty, smelly feet, he snored like a champ, he grunted involuntarily, and he scratched himself all the time. He was a beauty, and he was all mine for the whole first semester of my plebe year. He was so repulsive and irritating that he attracted a ton of attention from all the upperclassmen to our room, which meant more hazing for me. Over the course of the semester, I developed a deep anger for him. Now, normally, I'm the type that would let it out. I open my big mouth far too often. But I was just trying to get through plebe year, and I didn't want to draw any more attention to our room, so I just kept it inside. But that pent-up anger, it comes out. It comes out in the way we look at them, that little voice, those snippy and judgmental remarks. Let me tell you, it was a long semester. But it was finally over. We graduated about, you know, four years later, whatever. 
But every so often, the mere mention of his name evoked a response in the very pit of my insides. Have you ever been there? Jesus knows how anger impacts us because he knows us across the full spectrum of our ecology, body, mind, heart, and soul. And when you think about it, the internal stuff is what truly defines us. It's not how people perceive us. Our insides reflect how we actually are. It's truth. So what's inside of us really matters. Even the external things that we engage with in life are all processed and experienced on the insides of us. Think about this. The appreciation of a sunset, it happens on the inside of us. The sting of a betrayal, it happens on the inside of us. The joy of a friendship, the satisfaction of achievement, all of this happens on the inside. So what we think, what we feel, what we believe, it defines who we are as humans far more than how we're perceived externally. So now that we kind of get this notion of the internal and the external, let's look at Jesus' teaching in the context of a snowball. Snowballs are actually quite fascinating. They consist of ice crystals packed together with varying degrees of consistency molded by human hands into a projectile. The projectile is then launched by a human arm with a certain trajectory, a velocity, and a desired target. But the snowball is ultimately guided by the internal spirit of a human who has an intended effect for each snowball. So a loosely packed powder ball lobs softly at Jody's feet springs forth from a light-hearted spirit. It's kind of like a little playful joke, right? But a more firmly packed snowball with a more purposeful speed and flatter trajectory to the back of his neck is meant... <laughs> Good catch, thanks. I didn't think about that. Um, that's meant to get his attention, right? But then, when you take one of those ice balls and you really tightly pack that thing and you put a really flat trajectory on it and you increase the velocity as fast as you can, right? That's meant to leave a mark. All right, good, 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 all right. Jason was ready, good, all right. So I want you to look for this in this video up here. Bad news. We better get out of here. You know what? We can take him. 
from so you can hopefully see the linkage between internal intentions and external actions Jesus not only cares about the snowballs we throw in our lives but also the intentions that may or may not be behind those snowballs that we toss at people every single day and some of us have become pretty good at throwing snowballs even in the summer. So let's get back to our passage to appreciate the extent of anger in our lives. And we're basically gonna break this down into three parts. So for the first part you see up there in number one, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So for this first part, we're told not to be angry with our brothers and our sisters, or we'll be liable to judgment. But we're especially not supposed to let that anger result in an insult. And why is that? We need a little context to understand this. So back in Jesus' day, even calling someone a fool or an idiot could get you a beating. You just didn't do that. We do that all the time in this day and age, but back then, you didn't do that because it was essentially calling someone's beliefs that they held at the very core of their being into question. So Jesus is essentially teaching by using this illustration that the consequences for losing your cool are real and painful, just like a beating, especially when we get angry with our brothers. But then, there's number two up here. So it's not just if you're angry with your brother, but it's also if your brother is angry with you. So that adds a whole new wrinkle, doesn't it? Jesus is saying the effects of anger go both ways. So it's not if I'm just angry with you, but it's also if you're angry with me, that's a problem for me. In fact, it's such a big deal that Jesus uses the illustration that if you are coming to bring your offering to the temple and there you remember that someone's mad at you, you're supposed to stop it, just leave it, go away, get right with that person before you come back to try to get right with God. That's how important this is to the king of kings. And then we got number three. Jesus moves from brothers to accusers or in other translations, adversaries. So it's just not if our friends are angry with us, but also our foes. So clearly, Jesus is teaching that he doesn't want any 
estrangements to remain or grow in our lives. He demands unity in his kingdom. So hopefully this graphic up here helps clarify some of this. So we're not to be angry with our brothers in A. We should also be concerned if our brother is angry with us in B. Got to fix that one too. And it's even a problem if our adversary is angry with us as we see in C. So do you see how extensive this is? When we think about it this way, it becomes crystal clear that Jesus won't tolerate any anger in his kingdom. He wants unity. So if you're still not convinced that there's a lot of anger in your lives, then I would encourage you to go to the Manaka Walmart on a Saturday afternoon, about two o'clock, and just sit there and soak it all in. And if that doesn't do it for you, go ahead and jump on the PA Turnpike on a Friday night of a long weekend. Um, that'll definitely get your attention, and you'll see how much anger is out there. Now, I have some very sweet and classy ladies in my life across all ages, and I'm not going to mention any of their specific names, but the stuff that comes out of their mouths when they drive, you don't need emojis to know how they're feeling. Even if they could suppress those words when someone cuts them off, the anger is still there welling up inside. And everyone in here knows this because we all know how angry we get whenever we drive. And I don't want you to think you can cover it up either with those harmless little words because when you become a pastor and you ride with people in a car, they all of a sudden try to clean it up, right? So they're driving along and all of a sudden someone cuts them off and they're like, that little rascal just cut me off. Or who's this joker riding my tail, right? All these neat little words, joker, rascal, clown, whatever. But we all know that there's a spirit underneath that that just isn't healthy. And you can usually tell by the inflection in the voice. So what are we supposed to do with all of this anger in our lives? Well, it's pretty simple. Jesus makes it clear. He says, come to terms quickly, like we see in D up there. That's what he wants. So let's tackle quickly first and see what this notion of quickly is all about. Because we all know whenever someone explodes, it's usually best to let them cool off a little bit, right? Give them a little bit of time. But we can't give them too much time because we know what typically happens with anger. It gets hotter as it smolders. And it also gives time for people to get whipped up. And we see this all the time. If you watch talk shows or if you just watch the news these days, there's random topics come out. And like I was watching one the other day about a balanced trade agreement. How many people in here really care about a balanced trade agreement? Um, but man, you watch these people just get whipped up and you're watching it and next thing you know, you're all fired up and you're telling your buddies about the terms of trade of our country and you're like, what just happened, right? Because we can easily get ourselves whipped up. So the quickly piece is about keeping ourselves in check. So what does it mean then to come to terms or to settle the matter? Well, it doesn't mean to just say that you're sorry so you can move on. It says specifically, come to terms, meaning be reconciled, seek full forgiveness, remove every ounce of residual anger, get completely over it. 
Now, if you're an A up there, it's tough, but it's at least within your control. You can make that decision to deal with that anger or not. But if you have a few Bs and Cs in your life, that can be really challenging, especially if you've tried to settle the matter with someone before and they just won't forgive you. Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't give us instructions right here in this part of the text on how to reconcile it, but he just says, do it and do it quickly. But we can infer from other parts of the Sermon on the Mount that there are some things that we can put into motion. We can continue to pray for them. We should try to make amends for anything that we've done. We should show love, be patient, but there's also room for that hope that we talked about a few weeks back. Remember that conflicts often have this thing we call it a fertilizer effect. Conflicts stink like a good fertilizer, and that's why so many of us avoid them. But the ensuing reconciliation that occurs from a conflict really helps grow that relationship just like a good fertilizer. So always be standing ready for reconciliation and always go back to what we learned at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Humility goes a long way. Okay, so if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes, you gotta be thinking, and all of us could be thinking the same thing here, this whole thing is pretty daunting. This whole world, this, it, this contrast between the world and God's kingdom, it just seems so unachievable. If this is what the king requires, I have no chance of getting through that narrow gate up there, at least not on my own. And we even see, the great part about this is that it's almost like Jesus knows that's what the disciples are thinking, because we see him underscore that right here in the text. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser before you're handed over to the judge where you may be thrown in prison. So we're all going to be judged one day. And based on our sin, we're all headed for prison. Eternal destruction. And then he goes on to say, I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So essentially, we're never going to be able to get out. That's what eternity is all about. Now, why is that? Two reasons. First, the cost of our sin is far too high before a holy God. We have no way of making amends for that sin on our own. And second, how do you make money when you're in jail? You're stuck there. You see, we can't earn our way through that narrow gate. So on our own, we're headed for eternal destruction for all of eternity. It goes back to that doctrine of total depravity that we talked about a few weeks back. Every part of man, body, mind, heart, soul, is corrupt with sin. And I hope all of us are beginning to wrestle with that in our lives because the world doesn't look at it that way. The world says everybody's a good guy, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But that's not what we see in Scripture, and that's certainly not what Jesus teaches. Who we are, what we do, sin penetrates to the core of our being. Man's heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And God sees it all. And that's why he sent his son to die on the cross for us, 
That's why we call this gospel. It is good news. Because all of our anger, all of our sin, has been dealt with by that red drop of blood up there. Jesus is the answer to the problem of anger. He holds the key to that narrow gate. He's the one who's responsible for moving us from that dark path onto that well-lighted, narrow path. He knew the cross was necessary for our salvation. So for our sake, he died. And in response to this amazing gift, we come to terms quickly with friend and foe alike by confessing, repenting, humbling ourselves, seeking reconciliation whenever anger wells up in our lives. And when we ask the Holy Spirit to marshal and direct our intentions, we'll begin to see anger lose its grip on our lives. And that's why being born again and receiving the Holy Spirit is so important, because he sanctifies us. He makes us Christ-like. Now, to be honest, over the years, this teaching has hit me particularly hard. I'm prone to anger. That word idiot comes out far too often, and even if I can control it, it's banging around in there, right? But here's the thing. It became such a thing for me to work on this that I organized my prayer life around different days of the week. And so on Fridays, I've devoted the entire day to those people who I know I'm a challenge for and I know who are challenges for me. And the coolest part about that prayer list on Fridays is that it is the most active by far. And I don't know what that says about me. Obviously, I'm always adding names to this list um, because I know I'm a, I'm a challenge to people. But there's so much joy every time we reconcile and those relationships are fertilized through those conflicts and we come to terms with each other. In fact, there was never more joy than when I had a chance to come to terms with Stinky Blinky. We met up a few years back at a reunion. We settled the matter. We're even Facebook friends now. Good thing. So which path are you headed down? What kind of snowballs have you been thrown at people in your lives? And what kind of snowballs have been thrown at you? Who do you need to come to terms with? Don't delay another day. Settle it now. Lord, you created us, you sustain us, and you know the very depths of us. We remain darkened by the insidious sin throughout our entire ecology, but for you, and the work of your son on the cross, we know that we stand white as snow, purified by Christ's blood. Help us to take up our crosses daily and follow after you with the entirety of our lives. By the power of the Holy Spirit within us, help us deal with our anger. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So for response time, I just invite you to take a few minutes and just kind of pray through and think through the people that you need to settle the matter with, people you've been chucking snowballs at or have been chucking snowballs at you. Uh, the band's going to play a song. You're welcome to sing along or just sit there and pray through that song. I think it's a powerful song that helps us kind of think through the power that's needed to deal with the anger in our lives. And then the band, um, after we play the song, will invite you to stand and we'll close out by singing King of Kings one more time 
to remind us of the work that Jesus is doing in our lives. Thank you.